listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for taking some time with us today. We have a great program ahead. We are going to be talking about an update on a cold case from Muskoka. Absolutely fascinating story. We're going to talk to Camille Caramali about that. And then later on in the program, an absolutely revealing study about how many people in this country are just gutting it out in a relationship that they're not happy with because of one thing and one thing only. The house costs too much money. This is perhaps an unseen or untalked about portion of how expensive it is to live in Toronto. We're going to talk about that a little bit later on in the program, but I want, if I might, begin with some great news, and that is Ding Ding is home. Ding Ding is safe. The poodle, who was allegedly stolen during a knife point robbery in Scarborough early Wednesday morning, has now been found. Quote, I think she's a little bit scared. Her leg has some injuries, so now we have to put a bandage on her. But she's beside me, beside the family, and I think she is going to be okay. That is according to the owner of Ding Ding. Ding Ding the dog is fine. It is good news there. Now, listen to this. This is a United States report talking about online gamers facing harassment. Now, that is the headline. But I want you to listen to this report and listen to the news behind the headline about exposure to extremist views. Two-thirds of Americans who play video games online have experienced severe harassment, like physical threats and stalking. That's according to an Anti-Defamation League study that found nearly three-quarters of gamers have experienced some form of harassment. Extremism was also reported. 23% of respondents said they were exposed to white supremacy conversations. 8% said they had exposure to statements sympathetic to ISIS. The game with the most reported harassment was Dota 2. 79% of its players who responded said they had experienced harassment. Brian Clark, ABC News. Interesting when you put all of that together, and obviously that is very troubling for any of us, especially parents who have kids who are avid gamers. Um, I have one, who I have two, really, who are avid gamers, and I, I think if, if you talk to a parent of teens or tweens, it'd be, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find any parent that doesn't say that. And then you have this report about online harassment, and then... So concerning is this exposure. Now, I'm not suggesting that everybody who is exposed to this kind of thing or anybody who's a gamer is going to be taking this sort of stuff up because, you know, it was only about a week or so ago we had a report that said, well, actually online gamers are less depressed. This report was saying that it's people who are on social media. Those are on Instagram and on Twitter and on Facebook that those teens, those teens are more likely to suffer from depression. Those that actually played games and were online and had social interactions, even though they were virtual, even though they were through the game, that they were less likely. They were less likely to be depressed. So difficult to add all of those things up. This is the Alan Carter Radio Program, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.
A quick crime roundup. Chicago, it appears some thieves may end up being well-dressed because they swipe some well-dressed store mannequins. This happening in Chicago at the Nemus Marcus store along the city's famed Magnificent Mile. Police say early yesterday morning, three people wearing hoodies rolled up to the upscale store, smashed a window, snatched three dummies clad in expensive garb and shoes, tossed them in the back of the SUV and fled. Unfortunately, two arms fell off the mannequins during the heist. They were later seen on the sidewalk. Oh, the humanity. Or the mannequinity. In Oklahoma, the owner of a medical marijuana dispensary in eastern Oklahoma is under arrest after being accused of selling methamphetamine from his business. The Oklahoma Bureau of Narcotics says the man was arrested twice selling methamphetamine to undercover agents inside his store. Man, this weed is making me tweak. To Lafayette, court logs show a Louisiana district court judge ordered a man's mouth be taped shut for repeatedly interrupting proceedings. Court minutes show that uh, when a man objected in court, the judge asked him to stop submitting motions on his own behalf instead and do it through his attorney after repeatedly uh, not being quiet. You know, the judge ordered the bailiff to tape the man's mouth shut. Don't we all wish some days that we were just judges? And another crime to tell you about, dine and dash. That is where you eat and then you get up and you leave without paying. Is Kawhi Leonard guilty of dining and dashing? Here is the former Toronto Raptor superstar being introduced to fans in Los Angeles. Of course, he's now a clipper. And talking about, oh, thank you so much, Toronto, especially all those restaurants. I also just want to, um, you know, thank the city as far as the restaurants, um, you know, giving up that Kawhi and dying uh, throughout the playoffs. Uh, took advantage of that. <laughs> 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 hey, Kawhi, that was supposed to be if you stayed, dude. Dine and dash. Let me just say, when the Clippers come to Toronto, I think some bills need to be paid, Kawhi. I'm just saying that. Update on the daredevil inventor Frankie Zapata. We talked about this earlier this week. This was the guy that was attempting to cross the English Channel, standing on a flying platform. Essentially, this is, this is you know, jetpacks for all. Well, today he traveled only halfway across the 22-mile waterway before he ran into trouble at his refueling point and went tumbling into the water. After careful preparations, Frankie Zapata took off from the French coastal town of Saint-Gat, fastened to the small flying platform he designed. From afar, it looked like he was skateboarding on the sky. Zapata's wife, Christelle, says problems occurred when he descended for a refueling stop and the platform he was meant to land on moved too much due to waves. He was not able to grab onto it and fell into the water. The plucky aviation buff was swiftly rescued by French divers and is doing fine. Undeterred, he plans to try again. I'm Charles de Ledesma. That was the greatest report I have ever heard. He was standing on a giant skateboard. It just, 
It just adds an extra layer of class to it, doesn't it, when it has that accent? Just an extra layer of class. A bracelet that belonged to a soldier from Pennsylvania killed during the Battle of the Bulge in World War II is going to be returned to his daughter. An off-duty detective using a metal detector in Wales discovered the silver bracelet that contained Albert Coleman's name and serial number. Colin Murphy tells the Daily Item he used the information to trace Coleman to Snyder County, Pennsylvania. The County Historical Society says Coleman got married after high school. He and his wife had a daughter. Board member Esther Klinger says the daughter was 18 months old when Coleman was killed on January 17, 1945. He was buried in Pennsylvania. The bracelet will be presented to his daughter during a ceremony at the Society's headquarters on Sunday. While also looking in the rearview mirror, an update from police on a fascinating case out of Muskoka. The Ontario Provincial Police say foul play is suspected in each of the cases that date back to the late 90s. Police say four seniors went missing in Muskoka. Joan Lawrence disappeared in 1998. Police said at the time they believed she was murdered. 91-year-old John Semple, 72-year-old John Crofts, and 73-year-old Ralph Grant vanished from 1997 to 1999. They are classified as missing. Police have never named the suspects in the investigation. We are standing by waiting for Camille Caramali. Camille, are you on the line? I am on the line, Alan. Nice to hear from you. Nice to hear from you, too, as well. You were at this update. What did police have to say today? Well, really, they just uh, sent out a a fresh plea to the public to step forward if they have any information regarding uh, these uh, four homicides, they're now calling it. uh, As you mentioned, there were disappearances of Joan Lawrence, Ralph Grant, John Semple, and John Crofts, and two Muskoka area properties, retirement properties, and uh, this was between 97 to 99. Uh, Now they're saying this is definitely a homicide. One of them... Uh, Joan Lawrence, her uh, remains are believed to be still on the property. That's all they confirmed. Uh, Very little new information. They're just saying that, look, it's been two decades, and uh, their concern is that a lot of the people who knew the victims, who may have lived on the property, seeing that there were retirement properties, may have passed. Uh, passed away, and uh, now they're concerned that they've run out of potential witnesses and and really looking for new people to come forward. They're also saying that, you know, at the time there might have been people too afraid to come forward uh, because of this land family that uh, owned the properties. They're the prime suspects in uh, these four homicides, but now they're hoping that people, since uh, it's been some time, may find the courage to step forward and give them some information that might help crack this case wide open. Do, do police have any idea whether the the suspects or or whether they're the person that they are looking for may still be alive? Is, is that part of the equation here? That is part of the equation, and you know uh, there was a direct message by police sent out to the land siblings, Catherine Walter and Paul. Those are the siblings who owned the retirement properties where uh, these four victims lived. In. And so that's really the commonality between those four uh, homicide victims is that they all lived in these retirement homes at the time of their passing. So uh, police even sent a message 
through the media to the land family saying, look, now is the time to come talk to us, to, uh, you know, make yourself part of this investigation, because they said that throughout um, the investigation, uh, they never cooperated with police. So, um, you know, they were kind of beating around the bush, but saying these are the prime suspects that we've been looking at for the past 20 years. Um, and in a very roundabout way said, we don't have enough to fully charge them on these on these murders. Camille, I, I've covered so many police conferences, conferences like this, and often what strikes me is what is not said is perhaps the most important thing. Uh, in some cases, when police have news conferences like this, it's to sort of try and flush someone out, or sometimes it is a absolute Hail Mary. Sometimes the most important thing is the thing that they don't tell you. It's just the thing that they know and the suspect knows. I'm just, did you get a sense there today that investigators are flummoxed and at the end of the road, or is there perhaps something else at play? You know, it it did seem like this case had been stagnant for quite some time. And, you know, not to put too much... Uh, of the spotlight on our competition, but CBC had really been running podcasts and a lot of stories recently regarding these disappearances and now what they're calling homicides. So in a very, uh, you know, discreet way, they kind of said, look, this story is back in the spotlight now. Now is our time to try and find a solution or try and solve this mystery uh, because now there's a bit of a more public attention after, you know, 20 years of just trying to find uh, some way to solve this case or find a way to charge the suspects. Um, you know, this might be our way to get the public's attention and, and pounce on an opportunity that's presented uh, to us. But really, I mean, the lack of answers that we were given to our questions uh, regarding where this uh, this investigation is kind of says a lot about uh, about you know how many answers they actually do have themselves Camille Karamali you can see his report on this fascinating case tonight on Global News Camille always great to have you on the program thank you so much my friend thank you as always Alan An American Airlines flight attendant needed five stitches after being bitten by an emotional support dog on a flight to North Carolina. A WGHB reporting that the bite happened Monday on an Envoy Air-operated flight to Greensboro, North Carolina. News outlets report the airline confirmed a flight attendant received stitches after returning from Dallas-Fort Worth. A statement from the Association of Flight Attendants calls the bite inexcusable. An emotional support dog. Having a bad day, perhaps. Perhaps perhaps the, the emotional support dog was being emotional, perhaps. Coming up in our next segment, I am going to get you an update on... ASAP Rocky. We got developments in the ASAP Rocky case that is coming up from Stockholm in just a moment. But sad news to report. David Kaplan, former provincial health minister, has died at the age of 54. 
At the time of his death, Kaplan was running for the federal nomination in the riding of Don Valley North. He also ran unsuccessfully as councillor in Toronto in Ward 16, Don Valley East, during the last municipal election. Kaplan represented the provincial riding of Don Valley East from 1997 to 2011. He was forced out as health minister in 2009 over e-health scandal, which millions of dollars went to consultants with government ties and over expense account abuses. Many felt Kaplan had been treated unfairly, particularly since most of the abuses and accusations about e-health took place under his predecessor. He also served as infrastructure minister, and his mother, Eleanor Kaplan, was also a veteran politician, both federally and at the provincial level, where she too served as health minister. A, also a former health minister, I believe, who served previous to Mr. Kaplan in that portfolio, is George Smitherman, who joins me on the line. Hi, George. Hi there. It, just a shocking news today. Did you have any indication that Mr. Kaplan was ill? Goodness, no. He was uh, vibrantly contesting a, uh, a political nomination, uh, doing what uh, came to him most uh, naturally. So uh, when I heard that news uh, this morning, I was uh, shocked and really uh, quite, uh, quite uh, breathless and sad. What was Mr. Kaplan like around the cabinet table? You know, David uh, came from a uh, political family, and uh, I think, uh, you know, every ounce of his uh, upbringing was uh, influenced by uh, important conversations about public policy matters. He was such an engaging individual with a a joy for politics and a sense of of, uh, curiosity and always uh, reflecting a beautiful passion for politics, played politics when participated in it at its best is really just about meeting people and engaging community. And this is where David was at his best, in my opinion. And David also just was drawn to politics, even though he was out of the provincial scene. He tried to run again, and it was clear that it was just, it was, as you said, in his blood. Yeah, I went through that. Uh, I went through that situation myself. Uh, politics isn't an easy, uh, isn't an easy life. It has a lot of ups and downs, but there's, there's just some special uh, magnetism that politics has for people that like new experiences, are curious, are positive, and look forward to meeting you know new people and getting things done. And I think David was attracted to politics for all of those reasons, and his beautiful energies made politics better. George, um, and I read this from the wire copy that came out this morning. I want to read it again, uh, that uh, Mr. Kaplan was forced out as health minister in '09 over the e-health scandal and that many felt he'd been treated unfairly because of what had happened under his predecessor. You were his predecessor. Did you ever talk about that? I mean, do you take issue with that? <laughs> of course, um you know, I, I, I think it's a little bit unfortunate that on a day when we're talking about someone's passing, people would bring one aspect of uh, one aspect of politics into uh, into play. I, I, I do take some issue with that, Alan. Uh, and in my uh, book, which I had an opportunity to speak to you about, I characterize uh, my sense of e-health. I think at the end of the day, the unfairness uh, was that uh, David and the deputy minister were were forced to resign. But e-health, the agency, came to life on his watch as, uh, as Minister of Health. But it's a very difficult file, and we had a shared history uh, on it. And it, it saddens me in a sense that our relationship, which, which was uh, 
very good and of long standing uh, has that uh, shared uh, experience, which was uh, obviously uh, not uh, not a positive one. So uh, that's uh, you know that's just one aspect of a very very long relationship that he and I had together. George Smitherman, thank you so much for taking some time to talk. My pleasure. Thank you. George Smitherman, a former Ontario minister, talking about the passing of his colleague, David Kaplan, former provincial health minister, who has died at the age of 54. Shall we update a little ASAP Rocky? Shall we give you a little bit of ASAP? A little little, uh, Swedish rap, shall we? Uh, The update, a Swedish prosecutor has now charged ASAP Rocky. Could you just fire that in for me? I don't know if I have that little... I just don't have... There you go. Thank you. This is ASAP Rocky. I know you're saying, Alan, come on. Stop. The bass is making my dentures shake. Now quit it. Now, here's the update. ASAP Rocky has now been charged with assault over a fight in Stockholm last month. It's a case that has drawn attention of fellow recording artists as well as the U.S. President, Donald Trump. Rocky is a platinum-selling Grammy-nominated artist whose real name is Rakeem Mayers. He's been in custody since July 3rd as authorities investigated a fight where he was uh, allegedly pushed around and then involved in this fight that happened on June 30th. Much of this can be seen, or at least some video from ASAP Rocky, and there's question about whether it's been edited. That can be seen. Here is more on what has happened now. Rapper ASAP Rocky has been in custody since July 3rd following an incident which occurred before he appeared at a music festival there. His lawyer, Slobodan Jovovich. He feels that he acted in self-defense. He is claiming that he's innocent. The trial begins on Tuesday. We have a material that definitely could open up for him getting totally acquitted, and that is, of course, our aim and goal. The charges carry a maximum sentence of two years if convicted. Tom Rivers, ABC News at the Foreign Desk. So there you have your ASAP Rocky update. Did you want to hit it one more time? Could we just bring it in? Maybe just play in Rubina Ahmed Hak, who is with us. I know that Rubina digs the ASAP. You're all hip-hop all the time, right, Rubina? All the time. It's playing right now in the background. Can you hear it? Yeah. Every day. All right, that's... all music. You play all... Yeah, I... Hip-hop to classic. You know people say, what kind of music do you like? Mm -hmm. I'm like, good music? That's kind of my answer. As Homer Simpson... I don't like bad rap, but I like good rap. I don't like bad pop, but I like good pop. That's a good answer, isn't it? That is a good answer. As Homer Simpson would say, I enjoy all the meats of the cultural stew. Exactly, exactly. Why pick one? Well, you're on the program to discuss this new report that is out, and I'll read it to you. The majority of Canadian millennials, that's 61%, feel anxious about buying a property so much that shared financial or property goals were more important than looks when considering a potential future partner for daters. Prioritizing shared property goals over other considerations has a downside for Canadian millennials. They are far more likely to say they stayed in a bad relationship due to property than Canadians on average. 
So what this report is saying is, A, I'm only going to swipe right on somebody I can buy a house with, and B, after I buy the house with the person, I'm not going anywhere. (laughs) I guess if you wanted to just sort of simmer it down to that, yes. Um, There's two things I take from this. One, it is smart. If you meet somebody, you have to make sure that your money goals align. So if you aspire to live in the suburbs and they aspire to live in the suburbs, you at least are going to get along on those major, major points. Um, It's always difficult when you meet someone and you are with them only because of their physical appearance or because of the way they make you feel, and then everything else doesn't match up. Your values don't match up. The way you spend money doesn't match up. I'm not a relationship expert, but I do know that money is still one of the top five reasons that couples break up. And I'm sure if you were to rewind back to when they first met, they didn't feel that money would ever affect their relationship. So this is smart for whether it's millennials or older people or younger than millennials, is you're getting together with someone to, before it gets serious, to understand how they see their future, where they want to live, and how they expect to spend their money. Ooh, baby, baby, baby. Ooh, baby, show me your financials. Yeah, of course. If you're going to have a baby... You better have that person (laughs) with that person. You better let them know you got to show me the money because the last thing you want to do is, you know, get married to someone, have children. And this, we hear these stories all the time. Then you find out, oh my goodness, they have tens of thousands in student debt. They're never going to qualify for a mortgage. We're never going to have the kind of life that I dreamt about. But you've done all the right things. You've been paying your bills. You've been making sure you're not getting into debt. Uh, So these are really, I mean, this is really a jumping off point to talk about why it's so important to have your money goals aligned and to talk about money before you get serious. Dating 2019. Man asked the woman, did you bring protection? And she says, yes, here's my financial disclosure documents. Money. (laughs) (laughs) And it goes both ways. There's many relationships now where it's the woman who is really carrying the the majority of the, the household salary and sometimes down the road, that can start to, you know, she may not have been aware that her, her soon-to-be husband wasn't doing as well as he maybe had first presented himself as to be doing. And so then some of the goals that she had for her life and her family now have to wait because they don't have the money to do it. Here's the other thing that I find interesting here in this report is it says that one of the big sources of tension for millennials was, quote, and I'm quoting here, and I'm going to try not to laugh as I say it, uh, big source of tension was accepting money from parents for the purchase. Yeah, you know, I yeah, handle I, that tension. I laughed as well, too. I mean, I, I don't even know who these people are. I mean, I feel quite relaxed if my parents offer me any <laughs> type of money. My parents just paid for a new patio set. I felt great oh. accepting that money from them. Yeah. Thank you very much. And I made a joke. When you come, no matter who's sitting on it, they're getting kicked out. You get first priority. Sure. On that. You know, you make a Like, I make a joke out of it, but... As a mom, as a you know, I want to give be able to give my children money. I would the last thing I would want to hear is when I give them cash, they feel stressed out. I mean, who are these sort of ungrateful children that won't accept money from the people who brought? Please, no, please take my money. And I mean, couple this with this report that we had earlier this week that said that not only are parents paying for houses in terms of mortgages, but they're also subsidizing rent. Yeah, we talked about this just, you know, a little while ago where uh, millennials, I mean, and when we talk about millennials, we really should just talk about what age they are. They are now, you know, up to the age of 
39. The oldest millennial is middle age. I mean, we really need to put into perspective that we're not talking about young people in the sense of like early 20s anymore. We're talking about people who have two cars, a mortgage, student debt, might be dealing with aging parents and raising babies and trying to save money for their education. So we, you know, we refer to this, these people as the sandwich generation, really trying to manage money on both sides of their lives and continue to also save for their own retirement. Um, so, you know, many times we, you know, we'll say millennials and this and millennials that, but really it's just the reality of being in your late 30s. The reality is, is that at that time, if you're looking for someone, according to this HSBC uh, survey, a lot of times we look past the looks and we say, well, what, what else can you offer? Can you offer me stability? Can you offer me, you know, uh, are we going to be able to pay our rent and our, our mortgage on time? That's more important than, you know, how you look and how you make me feel. <laughs> Baby, that's a good-looking TFSA you got there. All right, I'm thank you. you. Rubina, thank you so be. much. <laughs> Dating 2019, Rubina Ahmed Huck. If you are a money specialist, you are a relations specialist. Same, same. Same, same. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for being there. All right, quickly, I'm going to play a little game I like to call Florida Man. You know this one? where you just throw Florida Man into the old Google machine there, and you just see, well, what's the most recent thing that's popped up? So I got two stories, two Florida Man stories, just within the last 12 hours. In Tampa, a Florida man landed behind bars after he allegedly slapped a pregnant woman who was smoking a cigarette. He was arrested for aggravated battery, according to the arrest report. The victim telling Pensacola police she was smoking a cigarette which made the man angry. He told her she shouldn't be smoking because she's pregnant and that if she wanted cigarettes, her new boyfriend should supply them. I don't know where the new boyfriend gets into it, but anyway, he slaps her in the mouth with an open palm. They were sitting, the victim was sitting on the bed at the time. There you go. I like this one. I'm going to close with this one. Florida man, a naked Florida man, broke into a home, is now fully clothed and behind bars. A Lando Lakes homeowner found a man sleeping on a bench inside his garage early Wednesday morning. His clothes were nowhere in sight. The owner walked into the garage, found a case of beer on the couch. Confused, he turned around found Whitney. Hey, wait a second, what's this beer doing here? And he grabbed a paddle from the garage, woke the guy up, put the paddle against his throat. So the man bolts. He steals a shirt and some boxer shorts, according to the homeowner. The boxer shorts were dirty. They were his sons. Canine deputies later found the man hiding in nearby bushes. A body camera from police captured Whitney, eventually coming out, hands up, still wearing the dirty boxers. It's unclear how the man broke into the garage. He has now been charged with burglary, indecent exposure, and resisting an officer without violence. This isn't his first run-in with the law, nor his first time likely wearing someone else's dirty boxers.